If you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for insight and understanding hearts to, to respond, to see clearly our own lives and hearts, um, and also to just understand your plans, to see you, to see what you're doing, to trust what you say. We pray for that, Lord. We know that some of the Psalms we've seen different language that just like this at times and then there may be some difference but we have a tendency to not remember it in a daily um, in our daily walk so we ask that you would help us with that give us eyes to see and, and ears to hear hearts to understand wills to pursue what you want us to do in Christ's name amen I was with a friend of mine on Friday who is in their last stages of life, um, this lady was or has been a great blessing to me. She's 87. She is uh, sick. The hospice told the family and her that she didn't have a week to live. And she um, doesn't want to have a week to live. She is ready to go and be with the Lord. And she is, um, she's ready to go now. She doesn't understand timing. I don't know if you've ever been close to someone who uh, was really sick or um, uh, had been struggling for some time, and they get to that place sometimes, and sometimes you get there where you're begging God to move and to take that person um, on to be with him. And so timing, though, in that sense is tough. I mean, it's hard. You you. I've I've been there, I've lived that in my own family in different ways, I've spent time with others, and I just think timing's one of those things where you think, Lord, I don't really understand. But it's not just with death, it's it's with life. I mean, you don't, there's a lot of things that you don't understand. You, you don't understand the timing, you don't understand why, uh, you, you have questions, and I think that's not... Um, unreasonable to think through that and we've seen the psalmist in this book three deal with that and grapple with that and wonder about that and ask God like why are you doing this in this way this psalm is a little bit different in that uh, there is this kind of resolute idea that God is uh, going to do what he is going to do and, and so it's helpful because it's more of like a he, the, the psalmist is resolved to say, Lord, you're going to do uh, and accomplish your plans. It is not us, uh, we are not the ultimate judge, but we know that God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. So with regard to timing, we, we kind of step into this moment where we say, okay, uh, if we were dealing with the particular issue, which we are today, of like, how long are you going to let this go on? We just have to say, today you should live a heart with a heart of thanksgiving, saying the ultimate judge is going to like humble the arrogant and lift up the humble. That, that's, that's, hu that's huge to me. I don't, there's a lot of things where timing is like, I don't really understand it. But I know that like he's not um, forgetful or foolish. You know, like, you might meet someone where it's like they are foolish in the sense of like 
they know that something's wrong, but they have a tendency to just look over it because of the person that it is. Or they're not, so God's not like that. And God is not also, he's not someone who forgets where he's just like absent-minded. Oh, was I going to get on to this person or address this thing? I forgot about that. It's not that way. And so we can just, we trust in today. It's a time of rejoicing. So remember, again, we started in Psalm like 73 is a place where this whole issue was addressed. And uh, the, there was really almost to the, the psalmist said, I almost stumbled over this issue until I went and met with the Lord in the temple. And when I met him there, I was brought to my senses and I was reminded of who he was and what he's doing. So again, he he has his senses now. He is it with it, with a heart of faith. They are looking together at the reality that they may not understand everything about God's timing, but He does, and they're they're filled with hope and certainty. So, the wicked will be brought down, and the humble will be lifted up because God does reign, and that's what He says. Now, there's a couple of passages. I th- I think it's important to make note of these uh, Boyce mentions them that, that there are passages that address uh, this reality sometimes it's good to go back and look at several places in the scripture I'm just going to read a couple in first Samuel chapter 2 verse 3 talk no more so very proudly let not arrogance come from your mouth for the Lord is the God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed that, that's just helping you understand that God is just and that he is looking over all things that are going on and he knows exactly where you are and exactly where people are and exactly where nations are. He understands all of those things and he will uh, make judgments on those and they will be right and true. First Samuel 2, 6 through 8 says, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash sheep to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth of the Lord's and on them he has set the world. So, So he's just reminding us that sometimes, and you'll meet, oh man, there is a world filled with people that walk around and they're proud of all that they have done. And they are quick to tell you everything that they've done. And then they may figure out how to help you do all that they have done. And so they sell that, you know, and there's a whole world filled with that. And it's this reality that you say, hold on just a second. You are so blind and foolish, you don't realize that like, even if you've rejected God your whole life, the reason you have air, the reason that your physical body works, the reason that you've had the opportunities you've had, the reason that you are in the place that you're in has nothing, ultimately, in the bigger sense of things, has very little to do with how great you are, and everything to do with that the Lord is guided or allowed or placed you in the place that you are and it and you just have to see that and consider that and if you're in this exalted place in your own mind or in the mind of others i mean ultimately you need to say the lord has placed me here for this time in this place and so i think it's just remind it's just a reminder uh because 
God is working, and really in this case, there, there is this thing of like, there's this, the world is so proud and arrogant, and the Lord is going to confront that. And, and, and in this case, the righteous are those who are humble before the Lord, but are also in a humble state. Luke 1, 51 through 53 says, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. So what what we're saying is God is reigning over everything. This is his world. He does what he pleases. And we'll talk about that more as we move forward, but it's his. And we don't understand his timing. We don't understand why some are lifted up and some brought low at different times. We don't understand all that, but we know this, that you should keep a posture of humility before God. I mean, that's just, you should be there. You should humble yourself before God. God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And so you should live in that posture. And you should know, be comforted, that God will take care of things in due time. He is a judge that will make a decision about the things of this earth. And it will happen and it will be exactly as he has planned. So, let's look real quick. Uh, Boyce states it this way. If you're summarizing this, he would see it in stanzas. And verse 1 would start with the congregation uh, speaking and saying, we give thanks to God. that's, That's where they start. We give thanks to God. Again, they're in a good place. That's what I mean by that is they are aware of who God is and what he's doing. They're in a good place. The second stanza, God speaks, which is a good thing to know. Like God speaks, he is speaking uh, in a way to the congregation and to all of us to understand, um, assuring them that, that, that these people who are giving thanks to him, it's like he's assuring them that he controls the universe. And that he is indeed in control of all that's taking place, and he warns the arrogant of their wickedness. So it's kind of like sometimes you might look at somebody and say, you know what, they're arrogant, they're loud, they're, they're, they're in your face, they're telling you everything that ought to be this way or that, they're just domineering or whatever, trying to crush you down. And the deal is, it's like you have to say to yourself, sometimes when you're looking at whether it's on a global scale, whether that's you know in the country that you live in, whether that's in your family, you have to think like, look, God will silence that mouth one day. You know? And God will address them. And that's what he says. I'm in control. You can trust me. The third stanza, the preacher speaks, and he says, hey, God is who he says he is. God does what he says he does. And then the, the final one is the individual worshiper kind of adding that agreement. So this is a very confident, and faith-filled psalm. Uh, this is not one of those psalms where you're like, oh man, uh, I can't believe he's so distraught. It's a psalm where they're like, no, they're, they have a clear understanding about where they are and where, where God is and what he's doing. So since God reigns, the wicked will be brought down and the humble will be lifted up is what we see. So they start with thanksgiving. And I would just say, just watching people over my life, I've seen people... Uh, walk out of the darkness through thanksgiving. I mean, that that's just, 
if you're in that dark spot, which you might very well be, there are dark things that are going on around you. There are dark things in your family. There are dark moments throughout life. That's just that that's part of it. There are dark nights of the soul. There are dark seasons. And Thanksgiving is an enemy to the darkness. It's just something to know. Thanksgiving is an enemy to the darkness, whether that's you writing those down, whether that's you going on a walk and thinking of all the things you're thankful for, whether that's you sitting around with your family and saying, let's make a list, whatever that might be, getting around Christian friends that are, I mean, that are good Christian friends that are not like constantly uh, telling you all the things that are bad in everybody else's life and in your life and how stupid you are but somebody that's actually lifting you up to think about the greatness and grandeur and glory of God, those kind of people are helping like drive you towards him and to see him and to recount his wonderful deeds. Those who will kind of help you with tones of remembrance in your life will, will say, hey, you know, like remember this time? Like you're kind of blind to that right now. You've got these crazy lenses on that can only see despair. But do you not see, remember, God did this, and God did this, and this, and that? Have you not seen that before? Have you not done that with your kids? Or you're like, hold on just a second. Has this not been done for you, and this, and this, and this? And their hearts begin to grow in thanksgiving. You're like, I, surely I love you, Dad. Y'all have that happen very often? Sometimes, sometimes not. Thanksgiving. Sometimes you're just moving people towards that the congregation is moving each other towards thankfulness and some people they just love gossipy kind of stuff so i mean reality is it's like whether it's something going on in church life or churches and abroad or somebody's family or in a workplace or in the country it's just just that generally does not produce thankful hearts right you actually if you do that you actually take people down the road to despair but here it's like no you want them to grow in thanksgiving and the thanksgiving is reflecting on what god has done in the past his reign it's it's reflecting on those things and so I think it's important, giving thanks to God uh, for your name is near. And it's just like a, the idea here, I think, is it, oftentimes when you see that, it's just God's person, character, and acts, they're, always, they're all tied up into his name. This name here would be the name of strength and uh, the, the fact that he actually is God, meaning he, he really does reign over everything. That's, that's the idea here. So it's near. It's, it's very much like something that it's very tied to this moment where they're thinking about it and they're considering it. And it's, it should always be near anyway, even if it's not in our hearts. Uh, you should say, like, he is near. He is ever-present. His name's always near because he's always present in every place. And you just need to stop and recount those things and look at those things, both in creation and all the deeds that he's done, but in your own life. You need people that will do that with you. It will sober you and comfort you. It also reminds you that God sees the wicked. 
Like you might say, nobody knows what so-and-so does or how this is going or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, hold on just a second. He is always present. But they don't know what I know about what's going on in, you know, like this spot of the government and this, they've earmarked money for the, you know, whatever it might be. And like, you haven't been reading all this stuff. And you're just like, but God sees that. God sees that. He sees it all. He knows it all. And we all forget that, but we do need to remember it. So God reigns. He's going to bring down the wicked. He's going to lift up the humble. And so we just start with Thanksgiving. Then two through five, we see God assuring his people. You see verse two and three. At the set time that I will point, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all of its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. So what is he saying? He is saying in there is a, the perfect time God's going to do what he does. He is going to judge the earth. And he's not just going to judge it. He's going to judge it fairly. It's not like he's going to not have all the facts. It's not like he's going to stumble in his commitment to what is right and good and just. It, it is not like he lacks wisdom. He has ultimate wisdom. So he's always going to make the right decision. And he's going to judge and he's going to make that clear that we need to understand that and understand it uh, over and over. We need to keep going back to that. When the earth is feeling like it's going to collapse, when a nation feels like it's going to collapse, when all these things are going on, God's saying like, I am holding it all together. It, it, it may feel like it's going to collapse and it's going to fall apart. But if it does, it will be because I did it. That, that should comfort you. If you get all worked up about all types of things going in the world, you could be like filled with sorrow over the insane things going on in your world. And, and you may just read uh, American news. You know, but if you were to really... And not just the world news that you hear about, but actually read world news. There may be times where you could spend, you could go in such despair as you look at that. And you say, well, I don't care about any other place. Well, that's a probably a bigger problem in your heart, you know. I don't care about the nation. Okay, well, God does. Like, he calls us to reach the nations. Like, so, anyway. But if you're really thinking about all those things, and you're thinking about it, you think, ah, God speaks to us and says today, I am in control of the universe. I keep it steady. If, if it is to fall, which, you know, in the end of Revelation, Babylon will fall, it will be because he did it. So he is doing as he pleases. His judgment is always right. And I, I was thinking about this. You remember the, the uh, little game, Jenga? Is it Jenga? Jenga? Sally said, East Texas, I guess Jenga, I don't know. Anyway, but there is a, uh, there's like a place called Five Below, which my kids like because they can always take a $5 bill in and 41 cents and get whatever they want to get, you know. So I'm walking around in there and I see these little wooden uh, games and one of them is similar to that. And it's this like, you know, tower that's stacked up and you start pulling the pieces out. And, you know, the person, I guess, that loses, is the way I understood, remember it, is uh, the one who pulls out the last piece that makes it all crumble. And sometimes the world seems like that. 
and, and, and we think, oh my goodness, like we're either really frightened or we're wanting it could come down. You know, you either want to be in charge of pushing it over or you want to be like, let's keep it together. I'm frightened by this. This is, you know, worrying me to death. And so we see that and we say, okay, the Lord is doing his work. And you might ask yourself, why would he wait? Sometimes you are, some people are so confident that they are among the humble, right? That, that they might say, why would he wait? Right? Well, Romans 2, 3, and 4 says, Do you suppose, O man, speaking to religious people, uh, the Jewish people in Romans, he says, Do you, you, you uh, suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So maybe you're still breathing here. You're still here today. I mean, you may walk out today and be gone from this life, this earth. That, that, that's a reality. But it, if you're still breathing here, do you not suppose that God has left you here just for this moment to give you an opportunity to repent? Now, there's another thing about God's um, timing. And that's seen in like Genesis 15. Abraham's given a promise and it says uh, about his, the people and descendants and land and, and the future. And, and God says to him, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. He's speaking of God's people will spend 400 years in Egypt and then they'll come back. And he says, when they come back, it will be after the iniquity of the Amorite is complete. So that's just one of those things where it's like God's timing is sometimes, and this is hard to understand. I was talking to the boys about it the other night. It's he is in the way it's presented in scripture is he's storing up all the wicked rebellion and all the, the de evil deeds. He's storing them up. And then when the bowl is poured out, it will be because it is full, completely full. And when he pours it out, he pours out his wrath upon humanity for their rebellion when he does so, it will be as it's presented here. And so I think it's just important to understand that there is time given. Sometimes the time is you should repent. Sometimes the time is we're going to store this up, all your wickedness, all your rebellion, and when it's unleashed, it will be clear. I will judge it all at once. So, verse 4. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on higher. Speak with a haughty neck. Um, the, the arrogant are warned here. I mean, that's a really helpful thing. God is speaking, and he is saying, kind of like what you see in Psalm 2, where he says to the kings of the earth, kiss the sun while there's time. What is he saying? You get on your knees and beg the Son for mercy while it is time. The wicked here kind of can hear, look, you're, you're like haughty, boastful life. You're strutting around through life. You think you're going to escape. You will not escape. You will not escape. You will face the judgment of God why don't you humble yourself before him now? Make yourself low before him, bow before him 
until it's too late. They have this idea of the equivalent of shaking one's fist in God's face. Um, Religious people do that too. Did you know that? I, I think churches all around are filled with religious people that are on their way to hell. Like just on their way to hell. And they can't, listen, they could not stand Jesus. And Jesus said to his disciples, they will not be able to stand you. Religious people are some of the most self-righteous people that you will ever meet. When you talk to them, it is clear that they are, they think more highly of themselves, let's say, than they ought. But God, whether they promote that before you or not, and you're like, or even you believe them, oh, you are the most godly person that I've ever met, you know? Or you did do everything right. Or you, whatever. Religious people are sometimes, like, ultimately, when you look again with the life of Jesus, you think, those people um, that were, like, working to get him killed, they were the most religious, the most well-trained, the, the, the people that went to church, let's say, every Sunday or whatever you might say. That's not in any way knocking that us pursuing spiritual disciplines or any of that. It's just saying, if your heart is not humble, if you don't see yourself as a needy sinner, if you're not saying, like, I need the Lord to rescue me, and there's not this humility about you where you are, really uh, humble before God, humble before the message, humble before the word, humble before others, humble before those who've been given to you to serve you in the way of like you learning humility and truth and beauty of God. Like, like something's going on that's wrong. And he says to you, do not boast and do not lift up your horn as if you're you proud person. Like, don't you understand? God sees that. God is not blind. You may dress up your spirituality, but he doesn't, he's not, he's not impressed by that. He's not impressed. God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. We need to see that. So God speaks and he speaks to, to us and he says, look, I've got, I'm going to get this done. You can trust me. And also, he says to the wicked, why don't you humble yourself? Now the preacher continues that encouragement, verse 6 and 7, for not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. He's saying, it's really, if, if someone is exalted, God has done it. If someone is brought low, God has done it. And if he swaps that around, he has done it. And so, you just need to keep going to Him. He may have you in that lowly place. He may lift up your head later, which He will ultimately. But at the end of the day, you go to Him. You, you, you can't run to others to try to do that for you. Just trust the Lord. Trust His work. Verse 8, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and He pours out from it, 
and all the wicked of the earth shall shall drain it down to the dregs. What's he saying? He's saying, look, though, just remember, the preacher's coming in saying, remember, God is going to judge the wicked. Like, you may spend all your time thinking about that and how you might be able to be the judge of the wicked, but God's going to do that. You, you be about living a life humble before God. He's going to take care of judging the wicked. They will drink. Listen, you ever had your kid, you say, like, I need you to take this medicine. And they're like, it's awful. You know, and they take a little sip. Oh, set it down. I can't drink it. You know, it's just too much. You know, you say, no, take the medicine. You got to take it. You know, it's like, you know, in the end with the wicked. It will not be medicine. It will be an eternal curse. And they will drink it fully they, they will not miss one drop you think about pharaoh who god sent moses in and said tell him to say let my people go and he says who is god that i should obey him did he oh yeah did they drink of god's wrath oh yeah so it's just a reminder you you understand that throughout history that 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 is um it, it's something you see nebuchadnezzar you remember him he's looking out at the position that he had standing there atop it and saying look at all that i've done what happened to nebuchadnezzar like he was able to lose his mind i mean there, there's a long list of people one author noted adolf hitler he gazed at a picture of himself it is said riding proudly on a white horse, a picture which bore the blasphemous title, in the beginning was the word. Then in his own voice, he deliberately mocked Christ, the eternal king, and he exclaimed, I am providence. Did, did he drink of God's wrath? He did, even at the point of like such despair that he took his own life. In the end, like when you think about the end of all things, it, it, you understand like when you read the Revelation that the Scripture says in Revelation twenty eleven through 15, the wicked will drink the cup of the wine of God's wrath in full strength. He is going to judge in a proper way. He, he, all who've rebelled against Him, hurt others, destroyed lives, continued in that, whether that's with their tongue or sword. All those who are self-righteous and stood up and, and acted like there's something in this present world or in churches or all around. Whether they're really religious or they're mocking God. Whatever they might be, all of those people will stand before the Almighty God and He will judge them at the proper time. So give thanks. Give thanks to Him. Trust Him at what He has said. Verse 9 and 10. The, it's, it's almost as if the individual worshiper kind of speaks here. And he says, But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I, I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. 
They're it's almost like they're quoting or restating. And they make these statements and they're reminding themselves. And I think sometimes it's this. Sometimes we'll come in here and sing corporately. And then oftentimes you need to go home and sing that back. Throughout the week, with the troubles that you might face, you got to sing it. You get on the news, maybe you spend too much time there. You get on the news and you're like, uh, you know, and you're saying all these things to yourself and you say, why are you not singing that song? Why are you not singing that song? Or you get a call or text from somebody that you know is trying to stir up the pot, which they're just insanely good at, and you got to sing that song and remind yourself of that. Or you're facing some trouble in your job or whatever it might be, you've got to keep saying God is going to make judgments and they will be full and complete and right and true. And I can trust him. And he will address the wicked and he will lift up the head of the righteous. Now you might say this morning, last thing just to think about is why would you not be among the wicked? Like why would you not be one who would drink the cup of God's wrath to the full? Why not? If you remember, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for all who would believe in him. He stood in their place, experiencing the wrath of God so that they could drink the cup of salvation. If you are here today and you say, Mm. When I look over my life, my arrogance, my rebellion, my foolishness, I think, how would there be hope for me? Say to you, the only hope you have is to heed the, the psalmist and to turn away from your sin and trust in Christ so that his life of enduring the wrath of God in your place can be given to you and your wicked, boisterous, evil, ungodly, immoral tongue and acts are placed on him so that you can be declared right with God and be in good standing with him so that his perfect obedience can be applied to you. So this is a great comfort. The wicked will be punished. The righteous will be lifted up, and we want to be among the righteous. So turn to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your goodness, for your mercy, for all the things that you have done for us. We ask that we would be a humble uh, people and that we would trust you to lift us up, that we would look no other place. We pray that you would comfort us today when we get worn out by what's going on in the world or in our own worlds that we would just trust you and take it to you, knowing that in your time, you address all things perfectly. In Christ's name, amen. If you would.